listening to Talking Out Loud, still the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. And welcome in to another episode of Talking Out Loud, the only program on the internet solely dedicated to your Dayton Flyers special edition episode tonight. And I am absolutely delighted that you could join us for this one. You know, typically I'm a hoops guy. I talk hoops on the microphone. That's what I've been doing for about five years now. And you listen because we do talk hoops right here on this open forum and behind this microphone. But today with the Dayton Flyers season starting a mere six days uh, from the time of this recording, want to do something a little bit special. You know, all of our famous graduates out there, we do have a lot of famous graduates. They're not all basketball players. Some of them are football coaches for perhaps the Los Angeles Chargers, Brandon Staley. Haven't got him on the program yet, but I always say that college basketball season really gets underway and I can really start to feel how close it is when the baseball season is over. And as it as it turns out, coincidence B, baseball season ended yesterday and college basketball is upon us again six days from the time that I've recorded this. So in that same breath, I have brought on one of the two major leaguers that we had get drafted in the decade of 2000 to 2010. His name is Jerry Blevins, and he joins me on Talking Out Loud right now. Jerry, it is great to have you on for the very first crossover episode to get us away from basketball. Thanks for joining the program. <laughs> My pleasure. I'm honored to be the, the first crossover uh, multi-sport athlete, if you will. I'll take I'll take the, the, the championship belt for that, for sure. Multi-sport, huh? Okay, so besides baseball, what, what else can you do? Can you get buckets if we went outside right now? <laughs> <laughs> at uh, 38 years old, I could still get some buckets. I'm not. I'm not banging in the paint. You know, I'm six six, only only 190 pounds, so I'm not gonna be able to throw some my weight around a little bit. But uh, I can. I could be a good stretch three, uh, hit that outside jumper. <laughs> all right. Well, then that's all of the prerequisite prerequisite you need to be on the program. Good. So we're, we're ready to rock and roll um, tonight. Uh, you know, I'm going to hit you with some trivia right off the bat. Usually I wait till the end of the program, but this is a good precursor to get us going. Um, so I did some looking today uh, and I'm okay. very big on trivia. If you've ever listened to the program, everybody knows I'm a trivia guy. OK, so my question for you right now today how many Dayton Flyers have been drafted into Major League Baseball? And this is going all the way back to 1969. How many have been drafted? How many Let's have been see. drafted? Not saying have appeared in the MLB. I'm not gonna, even saying signed. I'm going to say drafted. I'm going to say under 20. Um, and I'm going to go with my favorite number, but I think I'm going to be low. I'm going to go with number 13. You're close. It's 16 Flyers drafted. And um, three have actually made it to the major leagues, yourself included. Um, we just had a, another guy, Mike Hoschild, who got to the majors. Flyer fans are probably familiar with Craig Stammen, uh, who's still in the majors, now toiling around for the Padres. Um, and Mike Hoschild made an appearance, uh, I believe, for the Texas Rangers a couple of years that ago. Is, yep, he was with the Rangers. So yeah, uh, you're one of three, man. You you made it all the way, and uh, now you're what you call it the moonlight of your career. Or are you just like I'm a retired guy. <laughs> I, I'm retired. I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm doing like being a dad, being a, a father, being a, a husband, a son, a brother, a friend. Like I, baseball season's crazy, man. It's it's basically nine months of just being gone away from everybody. And so I've neglected all those relationships over the years with people that supported me. And now I'm just really enjoying being home. You know, I get to go to my my nephew's football and basketball and baseball games and see my niece's cheerleading stuff. Just just being around, just enjoying that uh, after playing. So it's been it was an amazing ride uh, to play in the major leagues for so long and just to play baseball and get paid for it for a long time. And now I'm just enjoying, you know, slowing it down a little bit. I get to just enjoy the summer months and, and be at home and sleep in my own bed for a while. It's It's been pretty awesome. 
Is it weird when you get in conversations with normal Joes and you're like, yes, I'm retired and you're like under 40? Does that ever feel weird? Does that strike you being like normal people aren't like retired right now? <laughs> it does because uh, I get asked all the time like, um, like, oh, what do you do? And to say I'm retired usually sparks a, a different like follow up question of like, you're retired. <laughs> How old are you? What, what did you do? And I'm not big on talking about myself, like about like baseball career, because then it becomes, you know, pretty one sided. And yeah, it's it's a little bit awkward for me. And so I haven't quite mastered the way around of saying I'm retired. Um, you know, maybe I'm just like, oh, uh, I'm a baggage handler, or you know, uh, work for the city or I'm in logistics or something broad stroke like that. Yeah. Um, your domestic engineer quite, <laughs> for your sons. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I haven't quite figured out. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm just a stay at home dad. That might be perfect. I'll let I'm my telling you, be. that's what you got to go. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I am a kick ass stay at home dad. And that's what I've been doing, man. <laughs> Beautiful. I like that. Uh, that, that. That might be. I'll try that and see how that goes. <laughs> uh, so let's back up, man, because to be honest with you, I don't have like any idea and like, I guess it's, you know, probably for lack of research, but I don't really have any idea how one, number one gets drafted and then like where you go from there. So like for listeners, the, the basketball drafting process is fairly straightforward. You, you have to play a couple of years in college and always used to be that way. You get drafted and then you're either going on to an NBA roster, you're messing around in the G League or you're going overseas. It's fairly straightforward and everybody has a pretty good, um, a pretty good view into the whole process. MLB is completely different. You can get drafted out of high school. You can get drafted in college. You can get drafted off the scrap heap. You can go to like single A. They can start you in double A. They can start you in the summer league or in Arizona in the fall league. I mean, there's like a million different ways to go. And a lot of it, normal fans don't have visibility into because like the Arizona fall league, for example, that's going to start uh, I guess like next week, that's not really televised. The only reason you would know about it is if you live down there. So for you, uh, walk us through that process, right? Like you got picked up by the Cubs in what, 2004 and you were about to graduate. So what, what is that process look like? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you just kind of a snapshot of my personal journey, uh, through yeah. baseball. So I didn't even, I went to, I'm from Arcadia, Ohio, Northwest Ohio, I graduated with like 40 kids total, boys and girls. Um, but I knew I was pretty good at baseball. So I came to Dayton um, just to just to go academically. Like I had no scholarship offers and they'd never heard of me, that kind of thing. And then me and my best friend, Andy Knoll, who graduated uh, in 05, went down um, and were there for roommates. And we were like, hey, when baseball tryouts, walk-on tryouts, happen we were gonna try out and so we tried out I made it and I struggled for a couple of years and then in baseball uh, college you can't get drafted until you're either 21 or after your junior year or you have to be a junior um, so I got drafted my junior year I came into my own uh, during that season I played really well against some of the other like top competition when they were getting scouted Sure. Um, I just kind of showed up on the radar and um, I got drafted and, and I signed and I went to uh, Boise, Idaho. So in baseball, it's it's a lot different than basketball because baseball, there's still so much development that needs to happen until you're capable of playing in the big leagues. Like it, yeah. it's just reps and, you know, figuring it out because it's a completely different game than it is in, in college. Um, and so there's so many levels from there's like basically six levels. There's rookie ball, there's short season A ball, there's low A, high A, then there's double A, triple A, and then the big leagues is the seventh level. And there's even a few below that, like you had mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went straight to short season being a college guy. So I, I skipped rookie ball. And then basically every year I kind of climbed my way up, got traded to from the Cubs to the A's and made it to the big leagues in 07. So it was kind of a quick quick turnaround but um yeah baseball is baseball is a, a fun developmental sport that's not not as easy to project talent that way yeah well what was like the hardest thing that 
you had to work on personally as a pitcher? Because like you said, your game's like kind of refined when you're 21, 22, but you're still like miles away from playing in the MLB. I mean, when you came out, what, what did you need to work on to be like, you know, I, I have to get to the next level. It has to be X, Y, Z or, you know, these portions of my game need to be fixed up. I think I really made the biggest step forward in my my baseball skills in at Dayton going into my junior year. Um, my pitching coach at the time, Todd Linklater, um, was a big fan of mine. Like, and he really saw raw skills. I could throw really hard, and I had a really good curveball, um, but I didn't. I couldn't throw strikes consistently. I'd walk a lot of guys, and he helped me learn that it was a mental approach and how I was thinking. And so I really changed my my mental approach to baseball and it kind of changed my whole life and it's something that I live by today which is where I was always focused on you know I'm nervous I don't want to walk this guy so I would be thinking don't throw a ball here <laughs> and I would throw a ball because your brain doesn't know the difference between what you're trying to avoid and what you're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. the only thing that it's going to do is to make whatever you're thinking about come to fruition whether that's in the positive or in the negative, it doesn't know any better. And so I really switched my thinking from trying to avoid negatives to trying to do things positive. And so I started thinking about, all right, I need to throw this ball down and away instead of trying to say, don't throw a ball. And so I started to accomplish things and it really, it simplified the game. I was able to work on throwing hard and, and throwing strikes. And I was, it took away the, the fear in, in, failure and it allowed me to to advance and so that was the biggest change for me um the rest of it was just learning how to be a professional athlete learning how to be 100 focused on my sport and what that means and nutrition and off-season work um and that kind of thing you know because being a student athlete especially at a, a a really good school like dayton takes a lot of academic you know commitment. And so once, once you kind of clear those hurdles and you can become just a professional athlete, uh, it's kind of, uh, much easier to get better at your particular sport. Now, uh, looking at the dates that you were on campus, did you get to play in the new baseball stadium or was that not done by the time you left? I did. I actually have okay. the first win at the the new baseball stadium. Whoa! Um, look played, at that accolade. Uh, okay. <laughs> a little trivia. If you're you're into trivia, there's a yeah. good there's a good trivia answer. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, so my first two years, I went. I lived in Stewart Hall, uh, and the baseball field was right below that that hill in front of uh, Kettering and Stewart Hall. Well, it used to be. Now um, it's so just a big. Turf it used field. to be. Yeah, I used to, it was it was awesome being there. The field was terrible and the dimensions were horrible, but it was really cool to be on campus like that. For sure. And you just have, you know, we would get a good amount of students to come watch just because they were like, oh, a baseball game's going on. Let's go sit and watch. Sure. So that was a that was a um, when they moved, it was definitely nicer and better and better for recruiting all the above. Um, but I do miss being on campus. Yeah, I remember when, um, of course, Jerry's talking about the the field that is now like the student intramural field and it's all turfed over. Um, you know, that's kind of the downside when you do facilities upgrades like that, because like you said, um, they, you know, they built the new softball stadium and they built the new baseball stadium, of course, right next to each other on Edwin C. Moses Boulevard. But those things are not on campus. So, you know, you're right. In the old days, it was like, whoa, there's a game going on. Hey, we can just (laughs) sit on the hill and watch it. You know, like that is so cool to me. And I, you know, and I will say that's probably why the soccer teams continue to get the attendance that they do, especially from a student body, is because Bojan smack in the middle of campus, it's, right? It's so, by the way, that that is an awesome facility to, to watch a soccer game, and I'm sure it is to play there. But Stewart Field was special, man. Yeah. It was, um, you know, you'd get, you know, sometimes we get like 20, 2,500 kids like students there and they would heckle their right fielder because it the way the the students would sit it was a big time home field advantage for us there for sure um and, and obviously if it, you we needed a better facility unfortunately you have to move off campus because there's just you know only so much space and to, to put all the sports over together it makes sense um but again i i do miss the nostalgia of being on campus and uh as a 
as a fan of baseball or as a, a student that likes baseball, I'm sure it would have been pretty cool to just be able to go catch a game, you know, when you're coming back from class and stepping to have to think about parking and, and how you're going to get there and back. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, in that same breath, did you ever go sledding down Stewart Hill? Because that is now something as older alumni that we get to have nostalgia for because you can't do it anymore. It's now like a, you know, there's like a big concrete wall in the middle of Stewart, uh, Stewart uh, Hill. I- so I did not know that that existed. And that makes me a little bit more sad. <laughs> yeah, man. There were so many times that we would we would sneak a lunch tray out and, and go slide down the, the hill for sure. You can't yeah. do that anymore. That is a, a big miss. Probably going to save some kids uh, a little bit of road rash and some 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 road burn. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, uh, again, nostalgic. I just had my 20 year high school reunion a couple of weeks ago. So I definitely feel old. And now I feel even more uh, ancient. <laughs> no, I mean, like it happened while I was at campus. So I, I got to see it kind of all the way through. Right. Because by the time we were seniors, the new field got built and we were like, man, this field is so awesome. But it was like, ah, crap. It was a lot of fun to go sledding down Stewart Hill. So it was like it was a give and take. Um, but I'm sure the students these days will tell you that uh, they probably would rather have the, the turf field because there was nothing like uh, walking across. Well, I mean, even if you were playing, I'm sure there were some times when you were like, is that a broken bottle out in right field? You know, <laughs> absolutely. It was uh, there was some some bad. Hop. I'll tell you what, I'll get rid of the baseball stadium down there, the sledding down the hill. But I lived on Lowe's Street. If you guys, if they change Lowe's to where it's, you know, it's not in the ghetto, all that stuff, I may disavow my my Dayton Flyer <laughs> fandom and and love because that 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 was truly where most of the memories were made. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. What was that? <laughs> what what was your house number on Lowe's? Uh, we were there was two baseball houses. There was four twenty three Lowe's, and we were at four thirty four across the street. Of course, um, and that we were it was awesome. It was like a, a newer baseball house to where the guys hadn't destroyed it yet yeah yeah 423 <laughs> so we was the real hotness. dump yeah yeah oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> but uh that we had a blast i don't even know if you guys can do lowe's fest there anymore it's low key it's you got to keep it on the dl key. yeah it's probably for the best but we, <laughs> we had a blast um I, even when we came in they were talking about you know like the football homecoming and burning couches and all that stuff. We caught yeah. a little bit of that, but Lowe's Fest was still a, a, the biggest deal on campus during those times. And it was it was such a pleasure to just be in and amongst something that crazy. Yeah, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and um, and I have to toe the line between like being pathetic old guy and like actually being nostalgic. But um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a weekend, it might be like two weeks ago, and I was sitting here at my house in Chicago, I looked outside kind of like Ferris Bueller and like there was no clouds in the sky and it was like mid 60s. And I was like, man, this would be such a perfect day to just be in the ghetto, having a cold one with the fellas. You know, <laughs> like there's always a couple of days in the fall when you're like, man, it'd be great to be back at UD right now. Just with no responsibilities. If you get, you know, eat, torn up on Saturday, it doesn't really matter at all. You can do it again on Sunday. You know? Yeah, it's, it's such a it, I mean, fall in Ohio and the Midwest is just a beautiful time in general. You know, I, I raked up a bunch of leaves in the backyard and let my my three year old, my two year old jump into leaves. But it's it's nostalgic for for football and for you know hot chocolate and you, got it. you know walking down walking down Low Street with with a cold beer. Like there's just there's just little moments that remind you of a good nostalgia, and and that's definitely one of them. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, talking to Jerry Blevins, uh, famous graduate of the University of Dayton. I can say that. Um, so <laughs> you, going back to baseball and shifting back, um, you said once you got drafted, you went to Boise. And of all the baseball podcasts I've listened to over the years, it seems like the best stories from Major League Baseball come from the minors. Like, oh, we had to ride a bus through this mountain pass and, you know, the (laughs) bus driver fell asleep or something like that. Like, do you have any stories from the minor league days? I mean, I guess you were in the minors for what, like two or three years? Oh, for quite a while. Um, Four, four, oh, four, five, six uh, parts of seven, eight nine and 11. So, you know, pieces of here and there. Um, so from that actual year in 04, I went straight from, you know, I was going to play summer ball, uh, in Columbus, get drafted and I signed. So I go right away, uh, to Boise and Boise's in, uh, what was the Northwest league. So, you know, we had teams in 
in Washington and Oregon and just all over. And we're in Idaho and Boise is kind of far away. And so we were in the championship uh, series. We were playing against um, a team that's in Vancouver, uh, Canada, which Oops. is an amazing thing because I was 20 at the time and the drinking age is 18 in Canada. So we had a really <laughs> good time. And Vancouver yeah. is a fantastic city. Um, but this is like a 15 hour bus ride and you have to cross a border. Um, and so, you know, it's always a long trip packed in, you're like sardines and and you're just stuck watching, you know, cheesy, uh, movies on, on the bus, like, uh, the Sasquatch three, like silly, dumb movies. Um, but anyway, so we're in the championship, right. And they, we actually win in Vancouver, and our owner, our team owner said, uh, if you guys win, we'll get you two buses. They'll be stocked full of beer. We'll have a great time on our 15-hour trip back. <laughs> so this is amazing. We win in we win in Vancouver. We have a great celebration. We get onto our buses. One was like a party bus. One was like the calmer bus. So I'm on the calmer bus because we did all of our partying already. Um, <laughs> and so it's the calmer bus is kind of a silly way to put it, but it's just not as crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're we're all we're all having a good time. Uh, we're trailing, and the bus in front of us about five hours in. We're all kind of settling down. It's like three in the morning. The bus in front of us blows a tire, <laughs> and the the rubber off of that comes underneath our bus, comes up behind us, and hits the backside of our bus. It knocks out the air air conditioning. And so we're out in the middle of nowhere with like 10 hours left to drive. (laughs) Everybody on the first bus has to pile onto the second bus. There's people covered in sweat and beer. One guy had vomited. So he's got a shirt (laughs) off and like, so now we're all packed into this one bus with no air conditioning for the last 10 hours. And and I'm sure there's footage somewhere but the local media, uh, when we got back to Boise, you know, it's like 1130 in the afternoon. They're excited. They're filming us coming off. Yeah, the Northwest League champions, the 2004 Boise Hawks, and we're getting off. And we look like a zombie movie piling off this bus. <laughs> Guys are smelling just, beer. It, oh, just gross. And they're like, we need to cut to commercial, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's what that's what bonds you in the minor leagues. They're so much brutal, you know. Getting to the big leagues is pretty amazing, but the minor leagues is a true grind. There's a lot of things going on right now with um, low wages and yeah. poor housing. If you if you follow along at all, yep, uh, it's a rough life being in the minor leagues, and you have to get a summer job uh, or a winter job, all the all that. But you know, when you when you get to taste the big leagues, those moments instead of being bitter become like like they are for me, something to laugh about now. Taking a quick break from the action, listeners, if you're enjoying this episode here today, I wanted to remind you that these episodes and all Talking Out Loud episodes for the entire season are brought to you by our sponsors, and tonight's episode is brought to you by the team of Lions and Reynolds at Vic Green Realty. If you're looking for a home in southwestern Ohio, look no further than Lori Lyons and Trisha Reynolds. Buying a home is stressful, so eliminate the hassle and let Lori and Trisha go to work for you. Yes, go to work for you. If buying a home is on your radar in the near future, choose the Lions and Reynolds team at Vic Green Realty. They are indeed realtors you can rely on. Now back to the show. In that same breath, I always ask guys that come on, you know, basketball guys that come on, um, and and the question really, you know, is the exact same for you. Was there a moment, or do you remember the moment where you're like, okay? Like, I'm good enough to play up here. I'm good enough to go to the major leagues. I mean, did you have that like epiphany moment or was it just kind of like a slow build? It, for me, it was a slow build. It was, I knew I was good in high school. I struggled my first couple of years in college. I really didn't play that much. I Like I said, I made that mental switch yep. and I pitched against some really, I pitched better than some of the top prospects that I was playing against at times my junior year. But I never really felt like I was on that next level until I went to Boise and we're all professionals. Everybody's been drafted or signed. And I had a dominant year that year. Um, Mm. I had like a 1-6 ERA. I made the postseason all-star team. And I was like, man, I could really do this. Um, 
I feel, you know, that was like the, the point to where I was like, it wasn't just a, a pipe dream. It wasn't just something to, to strive for. It became, uh, instead of a dream, it became a goal. And I, I started, I, I really started to work differently from there on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that it's, that's like what I always try to get behind the curtain because I feel like everybody has a different answer to that question, right? Like some guys, <clears throat> especially that played at Dayton, they're like, well, you know, I, I wasn't really any good until like midway through the season. Some guys like, well, night number one, I got my first bucket and then I was like, all right, I belong here. Um, the other thing I've always been curious about, what is it like to be in a locker room when you know everybody's salary? Is that weird? Do guys like kind of brush <laughs> you under the rug? Like how, how is that dynamic shake out? First of all, it's so weird that our 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 salaries are public information. It's a I know. weird thing. I know and everything like, you've ever made, dude. <laughs> it's so strange. And people will come up to you feeling like that's something that they can talk to you about. Oh, I you know. know what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm a kind of a private person in, in a sense like that. But they're like, "Well, you made, you know, this this amount of money last year. How's that make you feel? Or did you think you earned it? Or you're not worth that?" <laughs> yeah, I'm sure in New York you heard that a bunch. Me, like, how much? Yeah, like how much are you worth? And I'm like, how much did you make last year? That kind of stuff. And they're yeah. like, "Wait, oh, easy. That's personal." I'm like, "Yeah, it feels the same way for me. It's just, <laughs> it's a strange concept." Uh, but a lot of guys, you know, we, we joke and, 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 and chide. Most of it's like, I remember there's an instance of two guys that were like really good players. I won't name any names, uh, but two guys that have made quite a bit of money. Uh, and they were kind of like giving each other a hard time back and forth. And uh, one of them was like, yeah, well, you know, you're short. He goes, well, I'm uh, a lot taller than you and I stand on my wallet. It's something <laughs> silly like that. Just, you know, two multimillionaires making fun of each other in a sense. Uh, it's just, it's silly. And, and we're so blessed to make enough money to, to live off of, let alone, you know, have a, a good living um, sure. to be able to retire and at 38 and, and basically not feel pressured to have to do anything uh, is pretty special and and I'll forever be grateful for for baseball for many things that being uh, a big one no doubt um, one of the things that I found interesting and you know when I do my research before we jump on I always find little nuggets um, and you were actually traded to the A's for one of my favorite players of all time as a kid and being from Pittsburgh do you happen to know who I'm talking about got to be Jason Kendall. It's got to be. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was scrolling down and it said traded by the uh, by the Cubs for Jason Kendall to the A's. And I was like, man, when I was a kid in Pittsburgh, like we were usually pretty bad, but everybody loved <laughs> Jason Kendall. He had that weird batting stance and he always had that mouthful of chew like, the you know, he almost like made it cool for like eight year olds to like stuff a bunch of stuff in their mouth. Um, That was that was like, you know, he had such a persona like he was a legitimate baseball character to me yeah um, absolutely yeah he was just one of those mythical guys um he is he is that still to this day that kind of like <laughs> grimy hard-nosed uh i ran across him a few times he was with the the royals for a little bit and then moved into a coaching role mm -hmm. and i always chatted with him because you know once you get traded for another guy there's a little bit of of a connection there sure and so he he is he lives up to the hype just just to let you know he's he's a good guy but he also has a presence about him and and you know i loved his batting i like people with little quirks and weird batting stances and the way they move their bat and and have weird pitching motions he definitely had a unique way to to swing a bat and he's got all that stuff yeah um <laughs> all right so uh you make make your first appearance 2007 with the a's um how'd you get there what's the meeting like when you have that call up like oh i'm going to the a's and then what's going through your head on that first night like you're about to take the mound are you crapping your pants or are you like i'm ready for this moment yeah so uh i'll start with my call up so the way i found out i was in sacramento which was triple a at the time just one step below the big leagues yep and we had just won our our championship the pacific coast league championship I had call. I got traded over um, two months before. I was in Double A, got called up to Triple A right before the playoff run, and I ended up closing and making a like a pretty big contribution, a pretty significant contribution to that team all the way through. 
And they had already called up the the couple of weeks prior all the guys that that they thought they were going to um, to sign. And uh, I get a we're we're up in the Solon Club in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. It's it's the whole front office, our manager, all of our players, all of our coaching staff, all the clubhouse guys are all up celebrating. Just an amazing finish to a, a good run. And our manager's giving a speech saying thank you to everybody, everybody that contributed. He goes, one last thing. Uh, Jerry Blevins is going to make his big league debut later. He's gone getting called up. And like everybody turned and looked at me. And mm-hmm. I was like so shocked because usually if you get called up in September, it's September 1st. This was like the 14th or 15th of September. Yeah. And I was like, well, I, I, it's not going to happen this year. And so I kind of resigned myself to that. And, you know, I, I shed a bunch of tears. We're on the West Coast. My family here in Ohio is on the East Coast. So it's like three in the morning. You know, yeah. uh, I'm trying to make phone calls and wake people up. I <laughs> yeah. uh, just wanted just a beautiful moment. Um, it's like the, 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 the dream come true. So that was it. And then the next day, like I drove up from Sacramento. It's only like an hour and a half drive to, to Oakland. Yeah. Um, and I don't know anybody. I had just gotten traded over, like I said, a couple of months before. I don't know anyone on the big league You're team. You're like I've a kid on the first day of school. Like, hey, guys, what's <laughs> up? I'm Jerry. What's yeah. Going on? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, hey, guys. And, and my first game, uh, I'm sitting in the bullpen. It's a day game. So it was like really early the next day. Mm-hmm. And Nick Swisher, uh, who's an Ohio State guy, uh, is leading off for our team. He's he's batting leadoff, and Vicente Padilla is playing against the Rangers. He's he's pitching, and he starts throwing. He missed he missed uh, he missed him three times, or missed him twice with fastballs, and hits him on the third time. And Swisher charges the mound, and I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, what is happening? Uh, this is insane. Uh, I don't know what to do. I run over. I literally don't know. I know more people on the Rangers than I do on my own team. So I grab <laughs> one of my buddies by the jersey and I'm holding it. I'm like, dude, the big leagues is insane. Don't punch me in the face. And he says, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. I can't believe this. And so that's my first outing. Like later that game, I make my debut. Oh, no. um, I do well. But uh, from that day forward, I was like, "Man, this is—we're at a different level here." So that's like my my call up, and then my first my my debut. And that is—I mean, you have a story though. I mean, how many guys <laughs> can say that there was like a brawl in their first game? That's this was be a short-lived. real one, not not just the like benches clearing bullpens. This was punches thrown, guys flying over, and I I never was a part of another one quite like that. And that was on day one. Were you? I'm sure this happened to you at least once or twice in your career. But I always think it is absolutely the silliest part about baseball when there is a fight. And, you know, the fight starts and like, all right, somebody charged the mound and guys are coming together. And then like 10 to 15 seconds always pass. And then you're like, oh, here comes the bullpen. And you got to run in like 200 yards from the bullpen. I mean, in the bullpen, are you are you guys always like, man, this is so silly? Or is it just kind of like what you you call this the baseball's unwritten rules? Like you got to jump out there and run into the pile or whatever (laughs) it is silly but you have to be there for your guys gotta do baseball like fights are sometimes kind of slower developing and they take a while because a lot of guys just start jawing and then eventually one guy might swing and then you just have to protect them because like the one thing i do hate about baseball fights and i think i think it's okay to fight you know you're you're there's grown men It's, it's a silly thing to think about but you're protecting yours. You you have to be able to stand your ground and enforce the, the rules every once in a while. So if you yeah. get thrown at, you better charge the mound and show that that pitcher, you can't do those things, that you're not yeah. always going to be protected by the ball. Um, but one of the things I hate about baseball fights versus hockey fights is these guys start running in from all different angles. You never know uh, where someone's coming. I, you <laughs> yeah. don't know where it's coming from, and so literally, like I, when we when we come in from the bullpen, we're like holding guys back, making sure nobody's getting blindsided. Yeah. Um, just a quick story on that is uh, I was with the Nationals in '14 when Bryce Harper hit a bunch of home runs in the playoffs off of Hunter Strickland, who was with the Giants. Oh yeah. And I ended up going to the Mets, and then like two years later, two years later. Um, Hunter Strickland threw at Bryce Harper, hit him, and Harper charged the mound. 
And it wasn't a great fight, but they they got together. But if you watch the the, the tape, um, Jeff Samarja, he threw his helmet, but yeah. it slipped out of his hand as yeah. he was throwing it, so yeah. it looked like a terrible throw. Yeah. <laughs> which I still I still give him a hard time about today. Uh, <laughs> I was like, man, you have a cannon, and you throw like that, like what a sissy. Uh, anyway, um, but in that you see like two huge humans. So Mike Morse, who was uh, standing there, and then you see Jeff Samarja, you know, a yep. former teammate of mine, great human being, old yep. school as it gets. You see him, former football player comes sprinting in and he goes after Harper, but he hits Mike Morse, his own teammate, like runs into him. Mike Morse gets a really bad concussion. Um, he was at the end of his career, but that was the last of his career. And so there's there's some silly things that happen in a big fight like that, whereas hockey, you just clear it out, let the two guys have at it, and it's usually the end of it. So yeah, the fights are, are uh, I think, being able to stand up for yourself in a kid's game in a, in a silly way as, as much I'm against as violence in real life, but on the baseball field, sometimes you have to have to stand your ground. Oh, no doubt. And there's, uh, there's not a whole lot of things in baseball more entertaining than a good benches clearing brawl, even to this day, <laughs> you know, but even you can laugh at the bullpens as they jog in to do nothing and walk back. Like <laughs> yeah. it's hilarious. It's the best thing ever. Cause you know, it's coming, you know, and there's just and so, like 20 guys like sprinting <laughs> through the outfield. <laughs> There, there's another story I'll tell you quick. We were in yeah. Philly. Uh, I was with the Nationals again in 14, and and our bench is clear. And in Philadelphia, the bullpens are up like a huge flight of stairs because the, oh, yeah. the bullpens are uh, behind center field, like up a level. So there's like 40 stairs that we have to walk down. And our bullpen coach – uh, like is coming down, you know, everybody kind of clears out and he pulls his calf. So he literally like strains his calf and he can't, he's limping the whole way. We had to like, <laughs> you know, push him back up the stairs and just what an embarrassing way to get hurt is like, Oh, I'm going to help my teammates and, and keep everybody from fighting. But I, I, I tore my calf muscle. just, <laughs> just a silly move. Just the ultimate old guy move. Oh man. Finish it up with Jerry Blevins right now here on talking out loud, uh, former MLB player. We can say that now that, uh, the year retired, but, um, you know, the, uh, most interesting thing that I found personally, when I was kind of digging back through, um, you know, you're, you're running the major leagues was, I always felt like you had spent more time at the Mets and it felt like, um, I don't know, like as a person from the outside looking in, like I'm not an A's fan. I'm not a Nationals fan. I'm not a Mets guy. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh and I've always rooted for the Pirates. I, I don't know. For some reason, in my head, you were just kind of like synonymous with the Mets. Did you feel that way, too? Because I feel like you kind of you had a, a nice, what, four or five year run there with the Mets. And it seems to me, even from the outside, that that they kind of embraced you. And, and um, I don't know, it just feels like you're part of that Mets family a little bit more so. Do you feel that way as well? I do feel that way. The Mets, we had a good team. I mean, my first year there uh, in 15, we made it to the World Series. Yeah. Um, I had I was on the injured list for the first time and last time in my career. I got hit by a line drive and broke my arm. Uh, ended up having surgery for the plate inside. But, you know, I was there from 15, uh, 16, 17, and 18. And then I came back this year to give it another go. Um, but I always fell apart. So baseball, again, here, here's a quick difference between baseball and basketball. Baseball is strange in that you're in your prime in like 20, usually they say 28 to like 32. Sure. Um, but now it's, I think it's a little bit younger now with, with the advancements. And so I'd say like 26, 27, you start to get into your prime and it's because you've developed, uh, and you've now all this experience that you have is it makes you better like there's nothing like having reps in the game uh so you're at 20 for me at 28 29 my mental ability all that skill all that experience that i have was finally caught up to my physical ability and as a pitcher that's when i reached my peak and so i was really at my best with the mets for those four years um i had a, a rough 18 but the, there's you know uh, not all my fault. <laughs> Extenuating circumstances. Uh, mostly, is what yeah, we there was. That, a, yeah. We all had a bad. It was a tough year. Yeah, um, but I had a really good run in New York. They there's like two homes. I, I loved. Uh, I love New York, and I'll forever be grateful. Like to be able to play baseball. I'm from a small town, Ohio. To be able to play in the biggest market 
for a team like the Mets and just have that fan support and to feel it and to, to just be in the city. It's something that y- you dream about and it's almost sure. beyond a dream because it's, you know, you, you don't think that you're going to be able to do something like that. And so I was always grateful and I really embraced being a New Yorker. Uh, and I think the fans uh, of the Mets kind of felt that that my genuine love for the city and, and kind of embraced me. And plus I was good while I was there. And so I love the Mets. That helps. I spent a huge chunk of my, my career, seven years with the A's. Their fan base is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'll forever love the A's for that reason. They gave me my, my first call up. They were really good to me. Um, and I love the nationals who I played for, for a year. I got to play with Craig Stammen, who I played with at Dayton. Yep. I got to play. I was with him for two years at UD and we got to spend a year in the big leagues together on a really good team that that got beat by the Giants in the playoffs and Madison Bumgarner in the year they won the World Series. But yep. uh, what a blessing. So I, I have the fondest memories of that year. And in 19, I got to play for the Braves, who just won the World Series. They're a world-class organization. A lot of those pieces, those guys are still there. Um, so I, I love all the teams that I played for, but definitely the Mets in New York and the A's in Oakland are my two homes. Yeah, that's that's really cool, man. I was going to ask you, <clears throat> with the World Series finishing up last night as of the time of this recording, um, you know, I'm sure you still know guys that are around the Braves organization. Uh, my guy, Charlie Morton, got a ring. Another one. Love that guy. You know, he was a stalwart in Pittsburgh for a long time. Um, but you know, watching the game last night, you know, was it cool to kind of see a team you played for, some guys that you knew? Well, you know, I guess, you know, you, you, you haven't haven't been to, to that mountain to, you know, have that celebration, but like, you know, watching that from home, I mean, is it cool to see, see those guys, um, you know, cap it off. And cause I just, I think about as a fan, like baseball is the longest grind. And I feel like that exhale when you win a world series has got to be the biggest out of the, any of the four major sports, in my opinion. Yeah. Unfortunately, I never got the, the chance to hoist the trophy, but I was so happy. Like you know, once yeah. you're in the game for a while and you kind of get a peek behind the curtain and you see the 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 machine that is MLB and and it, some people lose some people think baseball loses the luster of being like a sport and see it as a business. I I never really got that. I still love baseball, um but once you've been around for a while, you stop rooting for teams as much and you start rooting for your friends and players that you admire and people that you admire. Uh, and so, you know, I, there's guys on that team that, that I truly, you know, I was, a, I played against Freddie Freeman for a long time. He's maybe the best hitter I've ever faced. Um, yeah, maybe a, a, a second to Ichiro. Um, I think those guys are one a and one B on the, the toughest hitters I've ever faced. Mm-hmm. And just, to to play with him in 2019 and to see the type of person he is, the father and husband that he is. And the way he goes about his business, I gained a different respect for him. Um, the the coaching staff there, their organization is just they're they're really classy organization. There's a reason why they're always good, and why when they're they're not very good, it's only for a couple of years. It's because they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I mean, if you're an Indians fan, Josh Tomlin was over there. Uh, who's an amazing guy. I think he'll be a manager in the big leagues at some point when he's done playing. So there's just there are just so many guys to root for uh, for the Atlanta Braves, a former teammate, and, and uh, uh, with the Mets, a good friend of mine, Travis Darno, was their catcher. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I was so happy for those guys. I can't imagine. I'm so jealous that I never won a World Series. I really chased it my whole career. Um, but it's, it just shows you how rare and how hard it is to, even if you find yourself on a really good team, like you said, baseball is a grind. So many things can happen. Uh, you get hot at the right time. You lose a guy. Uh, it's just different. And so for all those things to come together, uh, for them, I'm, I'm so happy for those guys. Yep, man. I was, I was a witness to a couple of those teams you're on. I was at the NLCS in 2015 when the Mets beat the Cubs, swept the Cubs. I was at game three, I believe. Um, it was a gorgeous night in Wrigley. I can at least say that. Uh, so last two questions I had for you, and I'm always curious, and this is again, kind of a crossover question. Cause I asked this to all the guys that come on, what was your favorite place to play in the MLB? And what was your least favorite place to play? So favorite place to play uh, has to be Fenway oh. and Boston. Okay. Um, 
the park is nostalgic. It yeah. is wonderful. Uh, the history there, the bullpen's in a cool place in, in right center field. Mm-hmm. So where you can get that fan interaction, you can feel it. You can, And then when you're standing on the mound, the way Fenway Park is shaped, it's like you're in the Coliseum. There's like 45,000 people right on top of you because the stands kind of go straight up and you can hear and you can feel them yelling at you and, and talking shit to you. <laughs> and I, I loved those moments. I lived for that stuff. And so Fenway was super cool. Um, my least favorite place to play, uh, probably because I was terrible when I was there, uh, is Dodger Stadium. Um, I really do like the stadium. It's super cool to be in L.A. and you see their all their celebrity fans. Um, but I, the bullpen is terrible. You can't see the game, really. And then when you're on the mound warming up, you can't even see the field. So you're like, there's this weird... Like, am I, do I need to be ready now? Because you have no idea what's going on. And so there's like this little confusion. And then plus they were really good when I was facing them all the time. And I just struggled there. So I, <laughs> I'd have to say Dodger Stadium was my least favorite. Yeah. Uh, in the pantheon of uh, stadiums as a fan, that's, that's got to be towards the bottom in general. Um, you know, logistics getting there, the actual stadium itself, <laughs> uh, the upper decks like in the sky, yeah, all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's cool and different with the yellow seats and, and stuff. It, it's worth visiting. I think you would enjoy it um, as a fan, I think, because it's just a, a unique place but it's definitely my least favorite place to throw a baseball (laughs) (laughs) um million dollar question as we're wrapping up with jerry blevins here um you're gonna make it to any flyers games this year the season is upon us now i am i actually just talked to craig uh a couple of days ago i had a good buddy of mine come up uh a former teammate of mine with uh, the nationals came up for brought his family for our our son's second birthday slash um halloween party Mm -hmm. and craig was supposed to come up but his his kid wasn't feeling great and so uh i talked to him and he's like let's get together uh and get to a game and so i'll probably come down at some point uh and get to a basketball game there's nothing like ud arena man it is a cool place to play uh to watch a game uh last story i'll tell you real quick so uh dick vitale is a huge Tampa Bay Rays fan. Yep. And uh, he was so pro UD Arena in Dayton as a basketball town. Uh, and so when we when I was with the A's, uh, he was sitting, his season tickets were right next to our dugout on the visiting side. And so I went up to him and I was talking to him. I was like, hey, Diggy, you know, I'm Jerry Blevins. He's like, oh, nice to meet you, lefty out of the bullpen. I was like, I went to UD. I just wanted to say thanks for all the great things you say about Dayton as a basketball town. And he says... I wish I could say more. He goes, that place is an amazing place to watch basketball. Um, I, I just love every time I go there, I try to push it. And I just said, thank you. And he was like, absolutely, man. And so he's right. Dayton, like that arena, the feel, the fans, it's just such a cool place to play uh, or to, to, to watch a game, watch basketball be played. It's just, just a fun arena. And so I look forward to, to catching one this season. No doubt, man. Well, hopefully, <clears throat> I will. Uh, I will be there as well, and uh, it'll it'll be great to share a cold one with you. Um, I know that I'm looking forward to getting back in the arena. Last year, I went to <clears throat> one of the 500 person attendance games, and it just sucked. And the refs were not too pleased that I could yell directly at them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I am definitely looking forward to it as well. And so hopefully, uh, you know, we can catch up and, uh, and break bread over the flyers as UD grads often do. Um, Jerry again, man, it was a pleasure having you on the program. We'll have to do it again as the season draws on. And, um, and I guess this opens the door to having Craig on as well. You know, you, you kind of broke the door down. So now we can do these crossover episodes and everybody will be ready for him, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll try to make that connection happen. He loves the Dayton Flyers, so uh, yeah, that would be a great crossover. But thanks for having me on, Sally. I appreciate it, man. No doubt, man. It was a joy. That again was Jerry Blevins, UD graduate and retired MLB player here on Talking Out Loud. That'll do it for the show. Uh, this is a special week, so I gave you two episodes. This is one of them. Uh, Brooks Hall coming up as well this week here on Talking Out Loud as we get ready for the 2022 Dayton Flyers season. There are two rules on the program as I let you go. They are wear red and be loud and we will catch you next time
Is everything alright in love? 